If you listened hard, you could hear giggles. The sleepy neighborhood was extra quiet at night, but it was unseasonably warm and the sounds of a slumber party drifted out of open windows. Inside, 12-year-old Polly Class and her friends were innocently playing. Outside, a hairy madman was about to crash their sleepover with a knife, a bundle of binding, and a promise he never intended to keep. I'm Chris. Thanks for watching True Crime Recaps. It was October 1st, 1993. Petaluma, California. Bill Clinton was president, the first Jurassic Park was roaring across movie screens, and the hot Halloween costumes would be Princess Jasmine and Barney the Dinosaur. But friendly, bubbly Polly Class wouldn't live to see any Halloween tricks or treats. She wouldn't live to collect any candy, scares, or compliments on her costume. She wouldn't even live to see the morning. Polly was having a sleepover with her two friends, Jillian Pelham and Kate McLean. The girls were loud, fueled by ice cream, games, costumes, and inside jokes. At around 9.45 p.m., Polly's mother, Eve Nicole, asked the girls to keep it down. She had a migraine and needed to get some rest. Eve retired to her bedroom, took prescription medication, and fell asleep. Polly's little sister was already in bed down the hall. Around 10.30 p.m., Polly opened her bedroom door to get some sleeping bags. A strange, bearded man with a knife and a duffel bag was standing in the hall. Confused and caught off guard, the girls wondered if it might be a sick joke, some kind of prank. But it was all too real. He was on them faster than they could react. He pulled strips of cloth out of his duffel bag and bound and gagged them. Pillowcases covered their heads, all the while he promised them he was only there for money. He wouldn't hurt them. But that was a lie. He pulled Polly to her feet and told Jillian and Kate to count to 1,000. He promised to bring her back by the time they finished. Then, both the intruder and Polly disappeared into the night without a trace. Not long after, Jillian and Kate managed to loosen their bindings and wake Polly's mother. Eve called Petaluma police, still groggy and half asleep. On the haunting 911 call, she can be heard saying, apparently a man just broke into our house and they said he took my daughter. Seconds later, Eve sounded more alert, more panicked. She's not here. I didn't hear anything. Petaluma police found Polly's room in disarray. There were pillowcases strewn about, along with the strips of fabric and electrical cord used to bind the girls. Police began collecting evidence right away and contacted the FBI for critical support. Around midnight, the feds arrived at Polly's house. Special Agent Eddie Fryer became the lead investigator on Polly's case. He knew from years of experience that stranger abduction cases are a rare and dangerous breed. The ticking clock is your worst enemy when a child is taken. To speed the investigation along, Jillian and Kate sat with a criminal sketch artist. Over a couple of hours, they did their best to describe the features of the man who had just shattered their world and stolen their friend. The police department couldn't find any fingerprints in Polly's room, but the FBI had advanced tools and equipment they didn't have. The FBI illuminated four dozen fingerprints with an alternate light source method that used fluorescent powder, ultraviolet light, and amber-colored goggles. Unfortunately, the fingerprints all belonged to the family and friends. Finally, they pulled a single palm print from the crossbar of Polly's bed. The intruder left something behind. 
Over the next few days, more than a hundred agents and officers scoured the streets of Petaluma. They went door to door interviewing Polly's neighbors and friends. They visited her school, questioning classmates and teachers. The skies buzzed with helicopters. Bloodhounds pounded the earth, scouting and sniffing for clues. Amid all the activity, investigators discovered something haunting. Jillian and Kate weren't the only ones who saw the monster that night. Others had seen him creeping, lurking, lingering. A teenager from Polly's neighborhood was walking to the video store with friends around 9 p.m. the night she was abducted. Both on his way to and from the video store, he saw a man lurking in the shadows around Polly's home. Though he was familiar with almost everyone in the neighborhood, he had never seen this man. In another eerie statement, another neighbor told police he'd been playing video games with friends when he suddenly felt the urge to look outside. He rented a cottage just behind Polly's house so he had a clear view of their back door. When he looked out the window, he saw a man standing at the back of the house reaching for the back door. But he didn't have a concrete reason to sound an alarm, so he returned to his game. Who was that man? Was it someone she knew? Polly's father, Mark, was no longer married to her mother, but he was quickly eliminated as a suspect. He had no reason to take Polly. He was one more person broken, devastated, and lost without her. This left investigators searching for a stranger. They moved on to the database of sex offenders and ex-convicts, but it didn't reveal anything new or helpful. It didn't bring Polly home. The investigation maintained its urgency with hundreds of volunteers searching, posting flyers, and operating a 24-hour tip hotline. In a matter of days, the call center took some 60,000 tips. Local police and the FBI investigated 12,000. Actress Winona Ryder, who grew up in Petaluma, offered a $200,000 reward for information leading to the girl's safe return. But still, no Polly. Two days after her disappearance, something happened that was both shocking and encouraging. Polly's father got a call from someone who sounded like his daughter. The girl on the other end said she was in a hotel. Her abductor had left the room, giving her a few brief moments alone. But the line went dead before Mark could gather any helpful information. Unfortunately, his phone wasn't set up for a trace. But the first call got investigators geared up for another. Agents joined Mark at his house and prepped his phone to do a trace on incoming calls. Sure enough, a second call came. The same young girl, the same frantic quiver in her voice. This call was short as well, but long enough to perform the trace. They couldn't wait for an entire team, so a handful of agents raced to the location of the call. It came from a house about 30 miles away, but when agents barreled in, they found an ordinary family going about their everyday lives. Within moments, they uncovered the astonishing truth. It was not a cry for help or a cause for hope. A young girl in the house had been dared by her friends to make the cruel calls. It was a heartless prank. In mid-October, Jillian and Kate met with another forensic sketch artist. and This time, a specialist was flown in, and she had a reputation for putting people at ease and extracting high-quality descriptions. By now, the girls were calmer and less frantic than the night of the abduction. They gave the artist a remarkably detailed account of the mystery man who vanished in the night. 
The new sketch was distributed. Shortly thereafter, another shocking call came in, this time to the local authorities. The caller demanded a $10,000 ransom before hanging up. A SWAT team mobilized and descended on the apartment where the call was made. 20-year-old James Arthur Harold Jr. was arrested and later pleaded guilty to posing as a kidnapper to collect the reward money. He was sentenced to six months in jail. Another ugly prank, another dead end. On October 17, 1993, a letter written by Polly's parents was published in the San Francisco Examiner. It read in part, Whoever you are, wherever you are, please return Polly to her family. She belongs here. We miss Polly so much. We miss the twinkle in her eye and her sweet humor. Mark and Eve also took the chance to speak directly to Polly. Our darling, if you can read this, please know that your mommy and daddy love you so much. By this time, people all over the country knew the story of Polly Class. Candlelight vigils were held in towns across the U.S. and countless supporters wore lavender ribbons, her favorite color. Then, on November 28th, more than two months after she was taken, a woman named Dana Jaffe called Sonoma County Sheriff's deputies to her rural home. She'd been hiking through her heavily wooded property when she found some unusual items. Sheriff's deputies arrived on the scene to find silk cloth in the shape of a hood, a dark-colored men's sweatshirt, a condom, and a young girl's knotted tights. Then she told them about the night a trespasser had shown up just before midnight, uninvited, uncooperative, and reeking of booze. She remembered it well. It was the night of October 1st. It all started when Dana's babysitter, Sharon Lynch, was leaving by way of her long and winding driveway. On her way out, Shannon spotted a pinto stuck in a ditch. Its driver, who she would later describe as A wild man demanded that she get out and help, but her intuition told her to keep driving, so she did. As soon as she found a payphone, Shannon alerted Dana to the wild man roaming her property. Dana got in her car and found the Pinto, but saw no sign of the trespasser. She contacted the police, who arrived a few minutes later. When Sonoma County Sheriff's deputies reached her property, they located both the Pinto and its driver. He looked like he'd been rolling around in the dirt with leaves and twigs stuck in his hair and clothes. The man was Richard Allen Davis, and he gave a rambling, nonsense story about sightseeing and getting lost. Richard was disheveled and smelled like alcohol. When the officers asked if he'd been drinking, he pulled out a beer, cracked the tab, and took a swig. With the patience of saints, they asked him to kindly dump the beer, and they proceeded to search his car. Over the next 30 minutes, they conducted several field sobriety tests of which Richard passed. When they ran his license, his driving record was clean. It seemed they had no choice but to help tow his car out of the ditch and send him on his way. If they'd been listening to Sonoma County Sheriff's Channel 1, they would have known about the abduction only an hour earlier. But... These officers were tuned to Channel 3, a small thing which later became an enormous thing, if only they'd known. Now, two months later, Sonoma County Sheriff's deputies connected the wild man in the ditch with Polly's abduction. The officers contacted the Petaluma Police Department. They would want to see this with their own eyes. 
The knotted tights, the unrolled condom, the remains of something dark and unnatural all the way out there in the woods. Detectives, volunteers, and search dogs scoured the land for any signs of Polly. Meanwhile, they researched the man who had gotten stuck on Dana's property. The man officers had helped on his way. Who was he? Why was he out there, sweaty and disheveled and defiant? As it turned out, Richard Allen Davis was no stranger to violent criminal behavior. In 1976, he was arrested for robbery, kidnapping, and assault with intent to commit rape. In 1978, he was arrested for kidnapping and assault with a deadly weapon. In 1984, Richard was once again arrested for kidnapping and assault with a deadly weapon, including the use of a firearm. After looking for him at his home in the Bay Area, a deputy putting up a perimeter stopped a man in a van. That man was Richard Allen Davis, and he was promptly placed in custody. It was a surprise to no one when his palm print matched the one left behind on Polly's bed. Jillian and Kate confirmed it in a lineup. The police had their man. Richard eventually confessed to the crime, sort of. He claimed he was drunk and high at the time. He also claimed he'd been trying to find his long-lost mother's house and gotten lost. But that doesn't explain why he had scissors, binding, and a very evil plan. In a rare moment of cooperation, he led investigators to Polly's remains. He left her a little less than an hour away from her house, near an abandoned lumber mill under some boards. And there she had stayed, unseen and unknown, as what seemed like the whole world held its breath, waiting. Richard Allen Davis went to trial in 1996. After 10 weeks in the courtroom, a jury found him guilty on 10 counts, including kidnapping, robbery, burglary, murder, and attempting to commit a lewd act on a child. He flipped them off with both fingers. At his sentencing, he claimed Polly's last words were that her father had molested her. The judge told Richard, This is always a traumatic and emotional decision for a judge. You made it very easy today. Then he sentenced him to death. Richard's criminal record and abduction of Polly Class helped inspire the Three Strikes and You're Out law, a law upheld by more than two dozen states and the U.S. federal government. It declares that significantly harsher punishment be imposed on repeat offenders like Richard Allen Davis. During the trial, Polly's father recalled his daughter's biggest fear. She was afraid of the dark. She was afraid of being alone. She was afraid that a bad man would come and take her in the night. The fears of a child. A little thing. Now, such a great, big, awful thing. A Halloween horror movie come to life. A monster that was all too real. A little girl with a big smile and a big heart gone too soon. And that's your recap. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, remember to subscribe and hit the bell so you never miss a story. But don't go away. You can catch up on more recaps right here, right now. Take care.